0: The Conclave of the Condemned. Rising like an obelisk amid the San Francisco fog, which could never quite decide if it wanted to be a whimsical mist or an impenetrable veil. Quantumora Labs stood sentry over Market Street. The skyscraper seemed to be caught in eternal contemplation, as though mulling over some grand existential question a Socratic dialogue rendered in steel and glass. This architectural titan was less a building and more a cathedral to the unyielding ambitions of tech. A sanctum, or venture capital, was the incense and IPOs, the gospel. Yet, on this particular morning, as the sun mustered the courage to pierce the San Francisco broom, the atmosphere within Quantamora's hallowed halls was anything but reverential. The mood was more akin to a Samuel Beckett play, absurdist and tinged with existential ennui. Here, in the cavernous expanse of an office that could have doubled as a minimalist art exhibit, empty chairs gathered like mourners at a funeral where the deceased had no next of kin. Rows of monitors, all dark and vacant, seemed to peer into the souls of the few occupants, like the bottomless eyes of a cosmic creature from a Lovecraftian tale. In this sea of emptiness, Dorian found himself adrift, but oddly focused. He was a digital da Vinci, a designer whose skill at the art of pixels and vectors was nothing short of alchemy. His workstation was his atelier, a place where each click and drag transformed digital clay into sculptures of graphic wonder. Dual monitors spread before him like a diptych of endless possibilities, one screen filled with vibrant color palettes, the other with intricate wireframes. His fingers danced on his trackpad with the grace of a ballet dancer and the precision of a surgeon each movement carefully choreographed to a silent rhythm. Only he could hear. Amidst his focused flurry, the ambient noise of his surroundings seeped in. Slack notifications popped up like annoying gnats, each one breaking his concentration and pulling him back into the corporeal world. These digital nudges were often messages from upper management, pontificating about the immense value of serendipitous collaboration it was the company's favorite buzz phrase recited like a mantra but understood by few yet here he was alone in a room designed for hundreds surrounded by emptiness and serendipitously collaborating with no one it was in this paradoxical moment that dorian felt both isolated and part of something larger An intricate tapestry of corporate absurdity, woven with threads of ambition, irony, and a looming sense of rebellion. Little did he know that this day, this peculiar moment of solitary reflection, was merely the prologue to an odyssey of unforeseen alliances and audacious undertakings. Act Two. The Intervention of the I.T. Sorceress Dorian was immersed in his craft, his fingers working like a virtuoso playing a demanding concerto. When a soft knock at the door broke his reverie, the door creaked open with the timidity of a first time actor stepping onto the stage and in sauntered Madeline sorceress of the IT realm. Her arrival was as inconspicuous as her role was indispensable. She was the guardian of the digital realms, the one who could wield a hex key like a wizard's staff and conjure solutions from lines of esoteric code. Madeline's toolbox was her grimoire, a Pandora's box of technical curiosities, it was filled to the brim with an assortment of cables that resembled arcane runes, screws that were more like alchemical symbols, and scripts that held the incantations to exercise the most stubborn of digital demons. Her attire was a pastiche of casual wear and tech swag, jeans paired with a t-shirt that declared her allegiance to open source. This ensemble hid the magnitude of her powers, her ability to make the inanimate animate, to turn mere machines into willing accomplices of human enterprise. With a smile that could charm even the most recalcitrant motherboard, Madeline spoke.
1: Ah, it appears that your desk motor has joined the corporate resistance. It seems to be yearning for emancipation from its mechanical drudgery. May I?
0: Dorian looked up his eyes momentarily disengaging from the hypnotic glow of his screens. By all means, he replied, sweeping his desk clean of an assortment of designer trinkets, limited edition action figures, and a bonsai tree that was more zen garden than office decoration.
2: Let's not stifle its burgeoning quest for mechanical self-determination.
0: Unfurling her toolkit with the flair of a magician, revealing her props, Madeline selected her screwdriver. It was no ordinary tool, but her wand of the modern age, capable of both tightening loose ends and unraveling existential conundrums. She knelt beside the rebellious desk, peering into its mechanical innards as if trying to understand its soul. As Madeline commenced her ritual of repair their conversation took an unexpected turn. It meandered from the banality of office life to the existential pitfalls of adulthood, each topic dissected with the kind of analytical vigor usually reserved for philosophical treatises. Then, as though guided by some cosmic joke or perhaps by the algorithm of serendipity, they stumbled upon a shared passion a passion so arcane and whimsical that it transcended the bounds of conventional hobbies. Potato portraiture. Yes, you read that right. This was the art of using the humble, earthy spud as a canvas upon which they sculpted likenesses of historical figures and modern icons. From Winston Churchill to Beyoncé, each potato became a vessel for their artistic and somewhat absurd aspirations. In a world filled with high-res screens and 3D printers, here was a pursuit that was as delightfully pointless as it was profoundly engaging. Both paused, realizing that this newfound commonality was not just another line on their resumes of quirky interests, but a potential catalyst for something far more revolutionary little did they know that this serendipitous meeting, sparked by a rebellious desk motor and sealed by the mutual love of potato portraiture, was the first note in a symphony yet to be composed. Act three: The Arrival of the Ghost Town's Guardian. No sooner had Madeline executed the final twist of her magical screwdriver, sealing the pact between human and and machine, then the atmosphere in the room changed. It was as though someone had flipped a switch in the very fabric of reality, sending ripples through the ether. And then, in a moment that would have made a lesser writer resort to cliches about apparitions, Leonard materialized. Leonard was the building's security patrol person, but that title scarcely did him justice. He was more like the guardian spirit of this deserted corporate cathedral, the Cerberus at the gates of this Hades of high rises. His job description may have read security, but his essence was that of a multifaceted Renaissance man. Leonard was a janitor of the physical and metaphysical, sweeping away not just the detritus of daily operations, but also the existential cobwebs that cluttered the corners of Quantamora Labs. Yet, there was another layer to Leonard that few knew or even suspected. Unbeknownst to his co-workers, who barely acknowledged him as they rushed past him on their self-important errands, Leonard was also a clandestine composer of electronic music. His badge, that laminated piece of bureaucratic mundanity, was in fact his talisman, a shield that protected him from the existential maelstrom that swirled through the hallways like a tempest seeking an outlet. Madeline looked up from her toolkit, her eyes meeting Leonard's as if recognizing a kindred spirit.
1: Ah, Leonard, the lone guardian of this ghostly realm,
0: she greeted, her voice laden with a reverence that one might reserve for a celestial apparition.
1: Your appearance is as stark and mysterious as a Banksy mural suddenly materializing on a barren wall. What brings you to this corner of our corporate netherworld?
0: Leonard smiled. A gesture so rare, it was like spotting a shooting star on a cloudy night.
1: I
2: was making my usual rounds. He
0: began. His voice tinged with a wistfulness that suggested far-off lands and unspoken dreams.
2: I heard voices and laughter. Sounds so rarely heard in these catacombs of capitalism. It's as if I've stumbled upon a secret society.
0: Dorian chuckled, his eyes twinkling with the same spark that lights up when a designer sees a blank canvas.
2: Well, if this is a secret society, then our currency is absurdity, and our mission is still undefined.
0: Madeline and Dorian exchanged glances, silently asking the unspoken question could Leonard be the missing note in their unfolding symphony? A symphony that was slowly beginning to take shape, much like a sculptor's vision emerging from a block of untouched marble. It was a question that needed no answer. For sometimes, the most profound truths are those that go unspoken, but are deeply felt. or The Unlikely Quartet. The trio, Madeline, Dorian, and Leonard, gathered around a whiteboard that had seen its fair share of brainstorming sessions, though none quite as revolutionary as this. It was a canvas that had mostly been used to outline action items and key performance indicators. But today, it was about to bear the sketches of a radical idea. Dorian uncapped a blueberry-scented marker. The scent was meant to inspire creativity, but mostly reminded him of fruit-flavored medication. He drew a series of boxes and arrows, the building blocks of their audacious plan.
2: So, if we channel the jargon through this algorithm here, we can convert each term into a corresponding musical note.
0: Madeline added,
1: And we should make it adaptable. So the A.I. can learn from each meeting. Imagine thought leadership turning into a haunting violin solo. Or core competency transforming into a majestic trumpet
0: blast. Leonard speculated, his eyes lighting up as he envisioned the audio tapestry that would be woven from such absurdity. They were engrossed in their sketching, the whiteboard gradually filling with what looked like the love child of a flowchart and a musical score. Madeline was in the middle of drawing what she intended to be a treble clef, but was abstract enough to be mistaken for a squashed insect, when the door to their secluded enclave swung open with the kind of grandiosity usually reserved for royal entrances in Shakespearean dramas. In waltzed Sir Reginald, every inch the epitome of unearned opulence. His tailored suit seemed to be stitched together from financial derivatives and trust funds. A gold pocket watch dangled from his vest, its tick-tock resonating like a metronome set to the rhythm of compound interest. Sir Reginald had, against all odds, made a fortune through a venture that could only be described as both ludicrous and inspired. Aromatherapy Socks Yes. Each sock was a potpourri of lavender, bergamot, and the ineffable scent of unaccountable success.
3: Ma, mm, uh, what have we here?
0: Sir Reginald's voice was a mix of intrigue and condescension.
3: A clandestine gathering of intellectual serfs? How deliciously irresistibly subversive! I must absolutely partake in this exercise of proletariat ingenuity.
0: The kind of tone you'd expect from someone who viewed the world through the tinted windows of a luxury sedan. Madeline looked at her companions, her eyes widening in disbelief and then narrowing in contemplation. Well, we do
1: need a beta tester, someone who can offer a unique perspective.
0: Dorian chuckled.
2: Unique is certainly one word for it.
0: Leonard, who had been surprisingly quiet,
2: nodded. The more, the merrier. Besides, it's one more person to share in the glory, or the blame.
0: Sir Reginald clapped his hands together with glee, causing his cufflinks to sparkle like stars in a velvet sky.
3: Splendid. Let us then disrupt the status quo, for in the words of a great mind, disruption is the highest form of flattery.
0: And so, what had started as a trio of rebels blossomed into an unlikely quartet. coalition of the willing and the wealthy each contributing their own skills idiosyncrasies and in sir reginald's case an insatiable appetite for the audaciously unconventional act five the corporate labyrinth inside the marbled soundproof sanctuary of the c-suite a tempest was brewing The room was an ostentatious display of luxury, filled with walnut desks, ergonomic leather chairs, and abstract art pieces that looked like they could either be worth millions or be the result of a toddler's unsupervised playtime with paints.
4: This is absolutely
0: outrageous, bellowed CEO Archibald Archie Monocle. His face flushed a shade that could best be described as venture capitalist crimson. His fingers were tightly interlocked, as if he were praying to the gods of quarterly earnings. Vice President of Innovations, Penelope Quirk, chimed in, her eyes widening behind her avant-garde, frameless glasses. I don't understand, Archie. Isn't this what we wanted? Employees collaborating and breaking silos.
4: Yes, but Penelope, dear, there are silos and then there are silos.
0: Archie responded, making air quotes as if they would help clarify his ambiguous statement.
4: Security staff mingling with designers and IT. Preposterous. It's like mixing champagne with tap water.
0: CFO Bartholomew, Bart, Nickel, who was obsessively polishing his collection of rare coins, looked up.
4: Well, we do espouse values of diversity and cross-functionality. Our leadership principles are practically a hymn to innovation.
0: Archie retorted.
4: Bart, diversity is one thing. Mixing different grapes to create a fine wine, if you will. But this? This is like tossing grapes into a blender with, oh, I don't know, gummy bears and kale.
0: Penelope attempted reason. But isn't innovation born from unexpected places? Isn't that part of our corporate mantra? To foster an environment where everyone's a changemaker?
4: Exactly, Penelope. Everyone's a changemaker within the boundaries of their pay grade.
0: Archie was almost apoplectic now, his voice rising to a pitch that would have shattered lesser glass walls. Director of Employee Experience, Felicity Featherbottom, who had been silently scrolling through employee satisfaction surveys on her tablet, finally spoke. Should
1: we at least examine what they're working on? It might align with our Q4 objectives.
0: Archie paused, seemingly contemplating Felicity's suggestion before dismissing it with a wave of his hand.
4: By the time we dissect this gross violation of corporate hierarchy, Q4 would be as irrelevant as last year's buzzwords.
0: As the C-suite engaged in this circuitous debate, a paradox of their own making, the clock ticked away. Each moment they squandered in obsequious deliberation was a gift to our unlikely quartet a few more precious minutes to finalize their grand symphonic escape and to redefine the very notion of serendipitous collaboration. While the overlords wrung their hands over the blurring of social and professional lines, their vacillation only fueled the fire of rebellion, offering Dorian, Madeline, Leonard, and Sir Reginald the most scarce and valuable corporate resource of all time act six the flight of the unicorns in the dimly lit workspace where each led screen served as a modern day torch flickering against the walls adorned with motivational posters and sticky notes leonard's eyes narrowed it was as though he had a sixth sense An uncanny knack for detecting disruptions in the Force. Or, in this case, the eerie blink of a red light on a hidden security camera.
4: Friends,
0: Leonard said, his voice tinged with urgency.
2: The corporate Minotaur has sensed our presence in the labyrinth. Our little shindig is no longer a secret soiree, but an act of defiant audacity. We must act. And act swiftly.
0: Madeline swiveled in her ergonomic chair, her eyes meeting Leonard's.
1: If they're onto us, we don't have much time. We need to complete the project before they can shut us down.
0: Dorian, who had been fine-tuning an interface that would make even Da Vinci weep with joy, chimed in.
2: We've got one shot at this, like a playwright on opening night when the critics are armed with poison pens.
0: Sir Reginald who had been amusing himself by reading stock market trends as if they were tarot cards, put down his phone.
3: Ah, the thrill of the chase. More invigorating than a cup of organic, single-origin, hand-pressed coffee harvested under a full moon.
0: Time, that ever-elusive trickster, became the most precious commodity. More valuable than the stock options that Quantumora Labs dangled like golden carrots before its workforce. The quartet went into a frenetic overdrive, each absorbed in tasks that defied their job descriptions, yet felt as natural as a fish, discovering it could also tap dance. Madeline's fingers danced over the keyboard, coding like a possessed wizard whose spellbook was written in Python rather than arcane runes. Algorithms materialized on her screen, digital tapestry that would soon transform verbal banalities into musical profundities. Dorian, with a stylus in hand and a digital canvas before him, scribbled sheet music like a frenzied composer on the eve of his magnum opus's debut. Each note was placed with surgical precision, as if he were stitching together a quilt made of melodies and harmonies. Leonard focused on weaving intricate security protocols, his skillful maneuvering akin to a cunning spy crafting an elaborate web of deception. Firewalls and encryptions became his labyrinthine maze, constructed to keep the corporate minotaur at bay. And Sir Reginald? He assumed the role of the impresario, pacing back and forth, phone in hand, as if each step... Could hasten the algorithms and musical notes into existence.
3: We're on the cusp of greatness, my dear compatriots, teetering on the edge like a trapeze artist over a pit of snapping crocodiles.
0: Together, they were constructing their pièce de résistance. A grand, symphonic explosion that would not only shake the very foundations of Quantumora Labs, but also serve as their audacious escape plan a plan so daring, it would make Houdini's most sensational acts seem like mere parlor tricks. Act Seven: The Symphony of Revolt. The moment had arrived, hanging in the air like the final pause of a conductor's baton before a symphony's first note. The quartet huddled around a single laptop— its screen displaying a countdown timer, with seconds ticking away like droplets in an hourglass. Madeline took a deep breath and clicked the activate button, as if she were lighting the fuse on a firework of unfathomable design. As the clock hands met in a loving embrace at high noon, speakers concealed in the cold, impersonal walls of the skyscraper stirred to life. The ensuing sound was not a mere cacophony. It was an orchestrated rebellion, a well-timed revolt that shattered the oppressive silence. The hallways of Quantumora Labs, those sterile arteries of commerce, became resonant chambers, carrying the symphony to every nook and cranny of the corporate edifice, meeting rooms, Those usually soporific chambers of endless chatter were transformed into grand opera houses, each table becoming a stage, and each swivel chair an orchestra seat. Cubicles, those claustrophobic coffins of creativity, morphed into intimate concert halls, their boundaries dissolving in a swirl of melodious sound. The symphony itself was a marvel— an auditory tapestry woven from hollow corporate terms that had long lost their meaning. Leverage became a lilting flute. Synergy roared into a full-bodied cello, and low-hanging fruit plucked at the strings of a harp. Together, these disparate notes coalesced into a harmonious whole, a piece so stunning that it seemed to pull back a veil from reality revealing a realm of unimaginable beauty. Employees paused, their hands hovering over keyboards, and their eyes locking with each other in mutual bewilderment. Yet beneath the confusion lay a strange exhilaration, a collective realization that something extraordinary was happening. In the C-suite, meanwhile, the situation was less than harmonious the executive overlords found themselves adrift in a sea of sound, their authority eroded by each rising crescendo. Their attempts to issue commands were swallowed up, lost in a wave of sonorous splendor. For once, the puppet masters found their strings cut, rendering them as impotent as a sun without its rays. Seizing this moment of poetic justice, our quartet sprang into action, laptops clutched like medieval shields and hearts pounding like timpani in a dramatic overture, they navigated the disorienting labyrinth of hallways. Each step was in rhythm with the symphony that continued to play, as if the building itself were urging them on. Finally, they reached the exit and paused for a brief moment, exchanging glances that spoke volumes. Leonard pressed a final his phone, uploading the AI source code to the cloud, setting it free for the world to embrace, to modify, and to make their own. The grand finale, the symphony lives on. As they vanished into the San Francisco fog, thick, enigmatic, yet oddly liberating, the quartet felt as if they had just stepped out of one dimension and into another. Their feet barely touched the ground. They were buoyed by the sheer exhilaration of what they had accomplished. A sense of lightness enveloped them, as though they had shed not just the weight of corporate chains, but also the gravity of a world confined by expectations and job titles. Dorian turned to the group, his eyes twinkling like a sky free of pollution.
2: I can't believe we pulled it off. What now?
0: Madeline grinned. The kind of smile that starts in the eyes and radiates outwards, like the first rays of dawn breaking through the night.
1: Now we let the world play our symphony. We've uploaded the code. It's out of our hands and into the keyboards of anyone daring enough to press play.
0: Leonard looked towards the towering glass edifice they had just exited. Its facade now more like a backdrop in a surreal play than an impenetrable fortress. Think
2: they'll ever figure out it was us?
0: Sir Reginald chuckled. His laugh tinged with the kind of delight one might experience upon finding a forgotten bottle of vintage champagne.
3: My dear Leonard... They'll be too busy attending urgent meetings about the unforeseen disruption to even consider the possibility.
0: As they walked away, their footsteps light and unburdened, a curious thing happened. Far behind them, in offices across the globe, from the skyscrapers of Tokyo to the co-working spaces of Berlin, speakers crackled to life. People looked up from their desks startled and then entranced as the air filled with music music made from the very words that had once confined them no corporate memo could explain it no hr initiative could take credit for it yet something had shifted the melody lingered a haunting refrain that somehow felt as familiar as it did revolutionary it wasn't merely a tune but a new language a form of expression that transcended hierarchies and pay grades. And our quartet? They became almost mythical figures, their identities the subject of office speculation and water cooler debates. Were they hackers, rebels, or merely figments of collective imagination? No one knew, but everyone agreed that their actions had ignited something, a spark in the tinderbox of modern work culture. Though they had disappeared from the physical realm of Quantamora, their presence was felt more palpably than ever. They had become the composers of a New World Symphony, a melody born from the absurdity and sublimity of human endeavor. And in that symphony, each note rang with the promise of newfound freedom. Each chord resonated with the joy of unexpected alliance. And each crescendo soared with the boundless possibilities of a future yet unwritten